Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuck. We're here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, Calais has introduced to the media how I would prioritize my draft and a legend gets his due. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more with uh, FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcast. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as they become available. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So Calais Campbell was introduced to the media yesterday after signing a one-year contract, I believe $7 million with some incentives that could, I think, believe, uh, bump it up to uh, as much as $10 million uh, for the year. One of the things that I thought was interesting that he said was, quote, my role will be a true defensive end on first, similar to a Cam Jordan type. Uh, I don't expect to play more than 60% of the snaps, but just being a veteran leader, being a force on the defensive line. And he talked about how Arthur Smith wanted a violent type of style on his defensive line. But it is interesting to hear Campbell talk about what his role is going to be. So we probably expect a, a little bit less of a traditional 3-4 kind of defense from what Dean Pease was running if he's playing a true defensive end and if he's going to have his hand in the ground. I'm okay with all of that. I mean, look, any any way that he can get to, I don't care if he I don't care if he starts out standing on his head to get to the quarterback. If that's what makes him comfortable and that's the way he's going to produce on the field, I don't really care. I don't care if he turns his back to the offensive lineman that he's facing and then spins around and immediately I don't care. I really don't care, but we do kind of maybe have a little bit more of a snapshot of what he's going to do. Now, the 60% of the snaps thing is also interesting because we talked about last week on the show that 11 of the 14 games that he played in last year, of the 14 starts that he made, 11 of those, he played in 60% or more of the snaps. Now, I would tell you, and we said this last week, then I expect that number to go down a little bit. And and probably not just the veteran status that he has, but trying to keep him healthy, keep him fresh. If you look at his snap counts in the early part of the season versus the second half of the season, he certainly started trailing off. The injuries crept up. He missed a few games. And his snap counts started to go down a little bit. And, you know, by the time he got to the playoffs, I mean, he – he played about, I think, about 62% of the snaps in the playoff game, but his snap count was trailing off at the end of the regular season. So I, I want to use him in a way where he can be, I don't want to say fresh toward the end of the season, but I guess as fresh as you can be for a 37-year-old defensive end. So if that's 40% of the snaps, and if you look, if we draft a guy at eight, and you've got, you know, Grady and Onyemata, and we got Ebba Katie and Lorenzo Carter. 
you know, you can certainly mix up that rotation of guys to where you can probably keep him at about 40, 40 to 50% of the snaps. But even he kind of conceded the idea of, look, I don't know how much longer I'm going to play in all of this kind of stuff. Hopefully what it is, is that we can squeeze one last drops of juice out of that lemon and get some production. And then at the same time, he can mentor. And, and this is why I talk about the idea of, of having a Jalen Carter or maybe a Keon White, who's a bigger defensive end, right? Keon, you know, Calais is 6'8", 300. You know, Keon White is 6'5", 285, right? I mean, so more than even, and again, it's not that he can't mentor a Nolan Smith or somebody like that, but but looking, a, a guy like Keon White who's watching what this guy does at 6'8", 300 pounds to be able to succeed in the NFL. So, look, whatever his role is going to be, obviously it's going to be a rotational role. I don't think that he is going to start 14 games. Last year, he played in and started 14 games for the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think he's got 14 starts in him, and I don't think that he's going to play a high percentage of snaps. But if you can maximize his production, if you can bring his snap percentage down, but it's high impact, right? You know, it's high impact. And look, if he's thinking that he's going to be on first and second down, then, you know, he may start a good amount of games. I don't know that you need to do that, but maybe that's what the plan is. So look, at the end of the day, this is a really good addition for this football team. I mean, as, as we've said, th this was a, a really good acquisition that the Falcons made. And the fact is, is that he was picking the Atlanta Falcons. And he talked about it in this press conference, we could surprise some people. I think we're going to be better than what some people think we are and all this other kind of stuff along with it. So I'm all on board with all this. Uh, the idea that he picked us as a franchise, that he thinks that he sees the talent and the ability to win games and, and contend and, and be a viable franchise, I'm all on board with all of that. What his role is going to be, I don't know. I mean, we won't know. We won't know really a lot of that until we get into the regular season. Even th look, is he going to even play in preseason? I don't even know how much he's going to get as far as snaps go in preseason, probably eight or 10, but he's, you know, I, I think he's going to be a definite factor on their defensive line. I think that he is going to have a good rotation of snaps, whether he starts week in week out will be another thing. I do think that if they draft a, a defensive end or edge player at number eight, that will go a long way to determining about whether or not he's going to play a starting role. Maybe maybe they start him early on in the season, you know, and, and let the number eight pick kind of learn and mentor underneath uh, Calais Campbell. And then as the season goes along, you work the eighth pick overall into the starting rotation. And that was some of the things that, honestly, Ebicady didn't get a chance to do last year. You know, Ebicady had the one start, and, you know, as they kind of fell out of playoff contention and all this kind of stuff, I was really wanting to see Ebicady make more starts and get more of the flow of the game. And arguably, he had his best game when he started last year. And, 
Yeah, you know, again, we talk all about Ritter about the idea of okay, maybe he should have started more. Ebicady should have definitely started more. There should have been more flow to Ebicady, not just the one start, but you know, Carter playing 75% of snaps. I definitely think that definitely think that there was a missed opportunity with Ebicady to get him starting and get him in the flow of the game. So we'll see what Campbell's role is going to be. But obviously, look, if he's going to play defensive end. No problem with that. He's a guy that probably kind of dictates what he's going to do with all the success that he's had and all the years that he's played. And at his status and age, he's coming in and say, and he's talking with the coaches saying, okay, where can we maximize your talent the most? And I think that that's what they're going to try to do with him. May only be about 40% of the snaps, but again, if they can get the same kind of production that he gave the Baltimore Ravens last year, we're going to be in pretty good shape when all is said and done. All right, let's talk about our friends over at FanDuel. Listen, as we're headed toward the last week of the NBA regular season and playing around tournament games are going to be coming up here soon, FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And when you're a new customer to FanDuel, you can sign up at FanDuel.com and claim your no-sweat first bet where you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure. Super easy to use. You can bet on everything from money lines to props to who's going to win, everything in between. Plus, FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So head to FanDuel.com slash locked on today. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N today and sign up and claim your no sweat first bet where if your first bet doesn't win, you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets. It's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook betting partner of the NBA. So obviously we are, what, uh, in a couple of days, the draft will be, what, two weeks away, right? I mean, we're creeping up on it here very, very quickly and the draft is going to be right around the corner. So we've talked before about what my priorities are for the first overall pick. We talked yesterday about some of the things to do with the second round and third round picks. So this is how I prioritize my draft, okay? And yes, I understand best available player and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, again, we've had five straight losing seasons and we can't figure out why. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But Here's where I prioritize my draft from a positional standpoint, right? Yes, best player available could fall and this, that, and the other. But again, if B. John Robinson is at eight, is he the best available player over anybody else we could pick? If Jalen Carter is there at eight, will the Falcons select him? A lot of things to see. I don't think Jalen Carter gets past five in Seattle. but So here's where I prioritize my draft. Let's start with edge. First and foremost, edge, okay? I understand there's a lot of good cornerbacks and this, that, and the other. We'll talk about that in just a second here. But I have to sack the quarterback. And the one thing that I am big-time deficient in is sacking the quarterback. And as you saw with the Philadelphia Eagles, you can't have too many guys that sack the quarterback. As you see with the San Francisco 49ers, you can't have too many guys that sack the quarterback. 
Where did the Eagles play in the final game? And they, oh, that's right. They were in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but San Francisco wasn't very good. They had a bad Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback. Where'd they end up playing in the final? Oh, oh, they were in the conference championship game. Oh, okay. Anyway, so you can't sack the quarterback enough. And this is why I have to sort out who's the best available player at edge. Now, I'll give you two exceptions to that rule. Okay, I'll give you two exceptions. C.J. Stroud, Jalen Carter. If either or both of those guys drops the number eight, that would be the only other way that I would go. If C.J. Stroud magically, and again, this is mythology and unicorns and rainbows, if he found a way to fall to number eight, I select him first and foremost. If Jalen Carter, who may be the most talented guy in the draft, regardless of position, is there at eight, and there's been conflicting reports. Would the Falcons take him? Would they not take him? I, I take Jalen Carter all day long if he's sitting there at number eight. Again, a disruptive force to pair with Grady Jarrett, and now I've got something. Now my edge is probably even freed up. Even if I don't have a top-flight guy at edge, I can free up a guy to to go disrupt, and, and, and we get sacks that way. And Carter, obviously, is a guy who can – disrupt everything on the defensive line outside of those two players edge 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 whether it's van ness whether it's tyree wilson whether it's miles murphy again i don't care about what the name says on the back of the jersey get me the best available player at edge bpa edge prioritize that get me another young first round caliber pass rusher in here and and do it and i don't want to hear any nonsense about, well, if the Falcons draft this guy or that guy, they're reaching, okay? Again, we explain this to you. If you're first-round talent, you are first-round talent. I don't care if you pick 4, 8, 12, 20, 32. Is T.J. Watt first-round talent? Yes. Was he picked way too low? If you did that draft over again with T.J. Watt, would he go higher? Yes. First-round talent is first-round talent. I don't care where you draft them. 8, 25, 30, whatever. Doesn't matter. You draft a guy who can impact your football team. So, again, whether it's Nolan Smith, Keon White, there's going to be plenty of choices. They can sort out all the scouting and everything like that for them. Then I will prioritize cornerback next as far as positional goes. I want a young corner, a, a physical corner, that can come in here and eventually partner up with A.J. Terrell. Now, look, I got no problem with Casey Hayward and seeing what he can do. And if you draft a corner high, maybe that guy does pair up with A.J. and you move um, Casey Hayward to the slot, whatever. Or you play, you know, a, a high draft pick in, in the slot. I don't care. But I do think that a young corner to eventually pair with A.J. Terrell on the outside would be my second choice. Then offensive line. I don't care if it's guard. I don't care if it's center or if it's even tackle. Because if Caleb McGarry doesn't work out, he's not on a long-term contract. And you can move off of him from very quickly. So if, if last year turns out to be his boom year and then everything else is bust around him, then, again, I don't care if it's tackle, guard, center, maybe a guy who can play a little bit of both inside, outside. 
but I definitely think that more offensive line help young in the draft definitely helps. Then I'll say wide receiver, you know, going out and getting ourselves. And again, I'm not prioritizing a first or second round wide receiver, but if you told me that, you know, a Tillman or a Hyatt or somebody like that falls to the third round. Okay. I I could be on board with that. You know, if you tell me that a third round pick was invested in a wide receiver, I got no problem with that. And then my final position, look, <laughs> defensive tackle. You you can't have enough defensive tackles on your football team. When you're rotating guys in and out and you want to build up depth and you want young guys, if there's a good young offensive or defensive tackle, I should say, that fall that that you know is falling in the draft that's got a lot of upside to him. I don't mind spending high capital on one of those guys. Yes, I understand Marlon Davidson didn't work out, but again, you go down that same well. You can't have too many of those guys. No team in the NFL, no team in the history of the NFL said, we've got too much disruption on our defensive line. We have to get rid of some guys because we've got too many good players on our defensive line. That's never been uttered by a coach or a general manager or a fan ever in the history of NFL football. We've got too much disruption on our defensive line. Never been uttered before. Those those words have never been put together in a sentence until I said it here on this podcast. It's the first time ever in the history of recorded audio that those words have been all put together at once. So edge player, first and foremost, number one. Then corner, offensive line, wide receiver, defensive tackle. That's my five priorities in order of where this team needs to be. Now, I'll obviously do a mock. I do my one and only mock draft that I, that again, not what the pundits think, what if I'm the GM, what I'm drafting, okay? What I'm drafting. And again, maybe, you know, the front office could listen to me a little bit more and Maybe we'd have some of these things fixed, but anyway, we wouldn't have as many unicorns and stuff, I guess. But, you know, again, we wouldn't have, you know, you know we, we'd probably have our offensive defense line figured out. But anyway, who who cares about all that kind of stuff? We, we got unicorns. But anyway, so with that edge, corner, offensive line, wide receiver, defensive tackle. And I think the Falcons are in a great spot that they can just sit at number eight and just let the draft unfold. I think four quarterbacks will be taken before the Falcons pick. So there's only seven picks ahead of the Falcons. If there are four quarterbacks taken, that means probably Carter Anderson and one wild card pick is going to be selected. And you'll have all, you'll be able to just sit back and just watch and monitor the draft as far as what's it just let everything just kind of fall. I don't think the Falcons need to move back and all this, you know, again, no teams typically don't want to move up to number eight that are in the middle of the draft. It just, these things don't happen. It's great in theory to say, but you know, usually these things don't really happen. You don't see many nine to one types of trades in the NFL. That's why this was such a rare thing for the bears and Panthers to swap those picks out. Jacksonville tried to, you know, make a deal on their number one overall pick last year. Didn't work out. So just sit at eight, let the draft unfold, and let these good players just fall down to the Atlanta Falcons, and they'll have their pick of 
whatever type of position that they want to acquire. All right, after you've made Hitting Hard with uh, uh, John Chuckery your first listen every day, make sure you make Locked On Sports today your second listen. Biggest stories of the day, instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day available, Odyssey, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So we got word yesterday that the Braves are going to retire number 25. So another jersey for the rafters. And obviously this is Andrew Jones. And look, it's it's obviously a long time coming. Um, you know, I guess he was next in line and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, one of the best center fielders in his generation, 434 homers, 1,289 RBI. He hit uh, 254. He actually stole 152 bases for his career and stole, or sorry, scored 1,204 runs. And of course, you know, the 2005 season, he finished second in the MVP. I mean, think about this kind of year. Second in the MVP, gold glove, silver slugger, and an all-star when he led the league in both homers and RBI with 51 homers and 128 RBI. He had a two-year run in 05-06 where he hit 92 homers with 257 RBI, 51 and 128, and then he followed it up with a 41 and 129. That's monster back-to-back seasons. And look, what I have a problem with Andrew Jones being in the Hall of Fame, when you think about his numbers now, and, and you put it in the context of he's maybe the best or one of the two or three best defensive center fielders in the history of modern baseball, right? I mean, we talk about Willie Mays. We talk about Ken Griffey. You know, it's a very short list of guys. And when you look at the 10 gold gloves, and obviously watching him have played every year, you saw how many runs that he saved. You know, you... You ask those pitchers, Glavin, Max, and Smoltz, that you talk about the idea of how many runs that he saved those guys in, you know, from, from being scored. They all talk about the idea of Andre was so important to the defense of that team and all of his run, you know, saving ability out there. Obviously a tremendous player. So kudos to, you know, Andre. Now let's see what happens with the Hall of Fame because I think he's one of those guys right there on the borderline. Now, here's what I'll say. Would I, if if, if I had to pick between Dale Murphy and Andrew Jones, it seems like the center field position for the Braves has been in good hands for about 25 years, right? I would take Murphy first. I think Murphy a two-time MVP of the league, gold glove winner. I do think that that carries more weight in an era where, yes, he hit whatever, 399 homers, you know, and if he'd have gotten to 400, maybe he'd have been in, I don't know. I mean, again, one homer would put it over the edge, but maybe it would or whatever like that. If I had to pick between Andrew and Dale Murphy, I still select Dale Murphy for what he did in the 1980s, maybe the best center fielder of the 1980s and was a two-time MVP, but I got no problem with Andrew Jones getting to the Hall of Fame. And, and we'll see how, because I don't expect him to be voted into the Hall of Fame from the writers 
and all this kind of stuff. And nobody really knows kind of what the writers, what their agenda is. And there is an agenda with the Baseball Writers Association of America. The, the, the agenda has been whatever they decide, you know, one guy's good with the media, or maybe it's a, a guy who didn't do roids or whatever their particular agenda is. The fact that Bonds and Clemens and all those guys have been left out of the Hall of Fame and maybe they, you know, again, they probably penalize Andrew because he hit 254, even though there's guy, you know, even though Bill Mazeroski is in the Hall of Fame and he was voted on by the Veterans Committee, a guy who hit about 250 for his career, but was the most dominant defensive second baseman in his era. Well, Andrew was the most dominant defensive player, and it wasn't like he was a slouch you know, offensively again, 51 homers, 41 homers, multiple times, you know, with 30 homers, several hundred RBI seasons and different things like that. And he was a guy who early in his career was stealing between 20, 27 bases a season. So good for Andrew. Congratulations to him. Certainly going to be a, a fun ceremony. I had a chance to talk to Andrew Jones about a month or so ago. His kid is now playing, obviously. Um, you know, his kid is doing some outstanding things, but all good for him. And and listen, I, I mean, nothing but love and, and kudos for him. Let's see if there's any kind of movement now to get Andrew into the Hall of Fame and see if he can find his way. Look, I think it's going to be more Veterans Committee than anything that if, if he's going to get in the Hall of Fame, it's going to be through a veterans committee or whatever they call these modern day committees now and all that kind of stuff, but certainly wouldn't mind his place in Cooperstown with a plaque besides just his number being retired. All right. Well, thank you so much for making hit and hard with John Chuck your first listen every day. Make sure you make locked on sports today. Your second listen, biggest stories of the day, instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day available Odyssey, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast from. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. We're getting towards 6,000 subscribers on our YouTube page, so be a part of the community and subscribe to us today. You can get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available, and then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckry, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 